Well, good morning, Carpenter's Way. Those of you in the room, those of you watching on the internet, we're glad to have you with us today. All right, I have a quiz. You may hate me after this. What's an Ebenezer? Old man on... Uh, no, no, it, is, it has nothing to Christmas do with Charles Carol. Dickens. No, it does not. Julie, do you know what Ebenezer is? I think I do. I think, isn't it is this going to affect our marriage neg negatively? It I just, might. Why don't you it tell might. it? All right, so I had Annie look Ebenezer it up because is. I was wondering. I think I, I kind of guessed what an Ebenezer was. And uh, during the first song, we were led by the Holy Spirit to look it up on Google. Thank the Lord for Google. It's, it's from 1 Samuel. And Samuel lifted up an Ebenezer. It's a rock, with a, it's a rock that he dedicated to asking the Lord for help. You, you knew that. This is when you go, oh, yeah, yeah, I knew that, right? You guys knew that, right? I had liars, liars. But this is all about mercy and redemption here at Carpenter's Way. So anyway, I'm going to need a place to have lunch today. So if you'll just text me, I'll show up around noon. But uh, I hope you're having a great week. And uh, some of you are on vacation at the beach. Um, and uh, others of you are home taking care of parents and gathering people together. And some of us are even in this room, and we are glad to have you worshiping the Lord with us. Man, uh, this, this text that we're in this morning, in our 64th week, and I appreciate all the jokes you're making online about how this has taken 30 years. I, I got all of them. The life of... You didn't make any of those jokes, did you, Heather? I called, yeah, that's right, I was going to text you in private. But anyway, this is uh, the 64th week of our study of the life of Jesus from all four Gospels, and we've tried to, we, although we haven't hit every parable and every story, we've tried to put them together in a way where we get the chronological life from, of Christ from before his birth all the way through his crucifixion and resurrection. And what we're going to do is when we're done with this study, we're going to go right into Acts in a study called uh, The Body. And, uh, we're, and why do I want to do that? Because I want us, we've looked at ministry with Jesus on earth and what it was like with the disciples and what Jesus taught. Who is the Jesus of the scriptures, not the Jesus of the Baptist church or the Assemblies of God or the Mormon church? Who is the Jesus of the Bible? And we've done that and we're wrapping that up. We should be done with that in the next couple months. <laughs> um, but uh, then we're going to go right into how, what's life like? Why does he left us here? What, what are we here to do now that he's physically not with us. And so we're very, I, we, I am very excited about that study. And it'll be a study of Acts. So if you want to start reading that, go ahead. But uh, join us in our study, whether you're home or away, whether you're, and, and I have heard from so many this last week of you and explaining why you haven't been here taking care of parents as well as people with uh, high risk. And, and that's good. Thank you for sticking with us. Thank you for studying the word of God with us. Uh, because we do verse by verse uh, not chapter by chapter, but section by section, working through. One week builds on the other, and hopefully we can reach back and, and see some of the things that, that we had learned in the past. And this week is, man, the text is one that all of you have studied so many times. But, but as, I, as, as I looked at it, as I, as I listened to Jesus and I tried to make observations, it was very impactful for me. And I'm going to say what I say every week. This could be the most important message I've ever preached. So uh, with that in mind, you'll want to pay special attention because I've never, ever said that before in the last six days. Having said that, I'm very excited as well. Um, there's a lot of stuff that we're doing behind the scenes in this quarantine period. And uh, uh, one of the things is Jeff, uh, Pastor Jeff, who's the executive pastor here and oversees children with his wife, Alicia, and then student ministry, um, has been working so hard in the background in all of our digital format. And some of you have been, uh, those of you who've been watching, when we started out in March, with the online stuff and we weren't meeting in person, uh, it was our streaming service that got overwhelmed. That would have been our app and our webpage. After about three weeks, 
they put their, uh, they upgraded all of their systems, and so those have been more dependable. And some of you, probably I think about 45 of you right now, are watching on Facebook. And while that's a good place to use it, it's not the most dependable place to watch us live. Archived works fine. But uh, if you have problems, and it seems like each week it freezes and all you get is, is voice, you want to see me because I haven't lost any weight. But anyway, you can jump over to our webpage. But here's another thing that we're very excited to do that Jeff's been working on. Um, we are excited because we, uh, this week we got a new digital campus. Our app has been upgraded. And uh, it is much more simple to use. Uh, it's got live, archived. You can go to Facebook on it. You can give on it. What we're most excited about is not yet, but in the next three weeks, we are going to connect the church directory uh, to this app. And only those that are in the directory can get used to it. So you'll put in a username and a password. Again, that's not this morning or right away, but you'll want to download this app because you won't have to call Dolores. That's Dolores at cwbc.com or org, but you won't have to call Dolores to get the phone number of somebody who attends our church regularly. Now, for those of you who don't want your information, we've already asked you, and, and, and if you want to keep it private, that's fine, just let us know. But we're very excited to let Carpenter's Way people have access to our church directory. And so if you try to get in there now, you're going to notice it asks for a username and a password. We will send you an email in the next, next few weeks, and, and it will be a few weeks, so bear with us, that'll give you access to that. And only those who are part of the body life of Carpenter's Way are going to get that. Uh, and that's to protect you. But there's second wind stuff, and it's, it's so good. Children's ministry is on here, and we, and we want you to make use of it. A lot of you have gotten used to giving online. This is going to even make that easier. And uh, so we're super, um, we're super excited about this. Uh, as you know, some of you are watching this morning. In the last two weeks, we upgraded even our, 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 our digital campus to Roku and Apple TV. So if you have Roku or Apple TV, if you go into the app program and you type in Carpenter's Way, uh, it'll come up. There's, there's a channel and you just click on it, it will download and you can watch us on that as well. Why are we doing this? Why are we investing so much time in this? Because we believe that it is wonderful when you are away to stay up with our study. We want to keep expanding our, our, our boundaries of ministry. We have people, as I mentioned last week, watching from Brazil as well. We have people watching regularly from Madagascar. We have missionaries who log in. We have people who are just curious about Jesus. Uh, we're even in China, and we've had some people watch from there. And so the Lord is expanding our reach as we study the Scriptures together, but it also is an encouragement to you with your families to prioritize the study of Scripture. So enough on the announcements. That's uh, that's all I need, to, I need to mention this morning. Am I forgetting anything? Women's Bible study, are, are you Wednesday nights? Are you starting a new one? I'm in week five. She's in week five of 68. Is that how many weeks? Yeah. No, I'm not like you. Okay. Week five of 10. That's it. So, so of there's 10. 10 weeks. Can they still join or should they wait for the next one? Oh, no, anytime because the videos are there on the Facebook page. First. So if you have any questions about women's Bible studies that are being done online, you can email julie at cwbc.org and we'll have the right person get in touch. There's a Wednesday night one. There's others going on. Men, Tuesday morning at 6.30 to 7.15 in the morning, we're doing a Zoom men's Bible study. And that has been, it has been wonderful. We have about 20 guys who gather. Uh, that's all the announcements. Anything else though? Okay. We love you. We're excited for you. Teachers, we're praying for you. All school employees. I know it's weird, um, but God isn't. So this is your mission field. Just try to go with the flow as much as you can, and uh, the Lord's going to take care of all of us through this. So let's commit ourselves to the Lord. Let's pray for our country, and let's play, pray for our church. Lord Jesus, thank you that you allow us to live and serve in this wonderful country. 
Thank you that this is our mission field. And may we see it as such, Father. Uh, may we not come from a position of deserving something. May we come from a position of serving someone. And uh, Lord Jesus, I thank you for our teachers who are about to embark in a weird year, another strange year. Lord Jesus, may you show them as, as they begin to meet and talk about things uh, and ways of teaching that they've never done before and administrative hurdles that they're going to have to jump and classrooms with kids with masks on. It's, it's just a weird time. No matter what we think about the masks, Lord, it is going to be taking place that way. Would you please help us to see our lives as ministry opportunities and, and may we live in such a way that we serve others. And I know there's folks in our church, Father, who are angry and hurting and scared and frustrated. Whatever those emotions are, may they, may they rest them at your feet. Father, for our, our church family, may we grow as men and women of God and may we be more like you every day. I thank you uh, for Heather and Julie that are going to lead us in worship this morning. I pray for people in their homes or in this room that we would sense your presence in a very unique way this morning. We do love you, Father. Um, but thank you even, even when we don't love you right. Thank you for loving us consistently. So we commit our time to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I forgot to welcome everybody. So welcome to Carpenter's Way. And I know you can't do your regular hugging, but if you want to stand up and air hug people around you, that'd be great. And feel free to, obviously, as usual, just stand up during any song or sit or whatever works for you here and at home. So, and we're kind of kicking it a little old school with some of our songs this morning and bringing you a new one. So, join on everything.
good to hear your voices. You sound really good. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones.
great song, all of the worship this morning. You know, there's so much in Scripture that talks about uh, how God provides for us in difficult times. Um, and that's, that hymn, I'm going to try not to spill my water this morning, that hymn is from, as you know, Psalm 23, which really isn't a death psalm, which we use at a lot of funerals, but it's, it's a, a psalm of King David, who was the great shepherd of Israel, answering the question, who is my shepherd? And, it, it, and, and the whole summary, and all you really need is that beginning. The Lord is my shepherd, and I have everything I need. Everything I need. And, and I was chatting with somebody this week about that psalm, because we often go, okay, what do I need? I need food, I need a place to rest. I need uh, shelter. I need to be able to take care of my kids. It isn't just talking about physical needs. It's talking about spiritual needs. And, uh, you know, there are certain things that we throw around the church a lot, things that we say, and we all know them to be true, but we don't really take them to heart. Uh, One of those is that we have a high priest that sympathizes with our difficulties and our trials and our, 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 our fears. And uh, you're going to see that this morning um, as we round third, as I often say, and start heading home in Jesus' ministry and life. Um, We ended last week's journey of discovery uh, as to who this Jesus of the Bible really is by listening to him talk to the Father. Fascinating prayer in John 17, because you actually are listening in as the Trinity talks to himself. It is so difficult to talk accurately with pronouns about the Trinity, because they are He. <laughs> so, so you're going to have to bear with me this morning as we continue to move through the story, because Jesus, once again, is going to pray to His Father. That's really Him, but they are not the same. There are three distinct with one. It's the Trinity. And uh, I stopped trying to explain the Trinity. It's just taught in Scripture. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And yet, as He's baptized... Uh, The Father says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm pleased. And they were looking at Jesus, and John is baptizing, and it says that the Holy Spirit descended in the form of a dove. On the Mount of Transfiguration, you have the Holy Spirit uh, enveloping that whole thing, and then you have the Father saying, this is my Son right there. Listen to Him. He's the one you need to listen to. Don't worry about the laws and the prophets. You listen to Him. And then Jesus is the one talking. So it's there is a Trinity. It's clearly seen throughout Scripture and through this study. Trinitarian theology is biblical theology. Uh, for those of you who don't believe in the, in, in the Trinity, this is going to offend you, but you're not following biblical doctrine. It teaches it. In the beginning, God, singular, created the heaven and the earth, and it was without form and void. Let us, they said, make man in our image, and God saw that it was good. Singular, plural. It, it, it may not make sense, but When did we start thinking that God always makes sense to us? But in last week's study, uh, in our journey of discovery, we found ourselves in John 17, where Jesus Christ is praying. It is moments, uh, hours before his his arrest, and Jesus has finished teaching his disciples. They walk from the upper room, where they had the Last Supper, to Gethsemane, where Jesus prays while they're watching. And I don't know if he just lifted his eyes to heaven and started praying or got on his knees, but he prayed and they listened and they recorded it for us. In John 17, John records it. And after he's done praying, and remember he prayed for himself first, he prayed for the disciples second, those that were around him, the 11 that were left. And then he prays for us and and listen to his prayer for us. And it struck me this week, as we build each week upon the previous lessons of who Jesus is, listen to what Jesus prayed for us. It is is remarkable. 
In John 17, verse 20, Jesus said, I am praying not only for these disciples, referring to the 11, but also for those who will ever believe me through their message. And I pray that they will be one just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be one in us so the world will believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me. So they may be one as we are one. I am, I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and, and that you love them as much as you love me. I want you just to let that soak in for a second. Not only are we joint heirs with Christ, not only was the Father willing to kill the Son so that we could live, but on top of that, He wants us to know in His final prayer, the final moments of His final prayer, that He, the Father, loves us as much as He loves the Son. No matter what you're experiencing, no matter what you're going through right now, no matter how scared you are, the Father loves you and is concerned for you. And He loves you as much as He loves the Son. That needs to sink in. Because I think sometimes, and this is just my hunch, I think sometimes we're so busy telling the lost that Jesus loves them that our attitude is that He's less loving to the found, to the saved, to His children, because we should know better than to live the way we do. And yet, in this text... Jesus wants the disciples to know that the Father loves them as much as He loves Him. And what is remarkable about that is Jesus has just told them that they're all going to abandon Him. He loves them in their sin. He loves them in their struggle. He loves them even in their stupidity, which you're going to see in today's text. And He continues, Father, I want these whom You have given Me the disciples, and all those that will be saved as a result of their message. I want those whom you have given to me to be with me where I am. Wow. Like a lover longing to be with his bride, Jesus says, oh, I hate being apart from them. You're about to take me. Our plan, Father, is going to take me from them. And I just want us to be together again. That's, and last week I shared with you that one of the coolest verses in Scripture is one of the weirdest verses in Scripture. Psalm 116, verse 15, that says, precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his saints. Well, how can death be precious to the Lord? Because that is the doorway with which we go to be with the Lord. And that's precious to him. You guys, you are so loved by God. No matter what your circumstances, no matter what your fears, no matter what life has, has uh, dealt you with, God loves you so much and he's longing to, for you to be with him. Why? Then they, we can see all the glory that, that God, Jesus was given by the Father because, because the Father loved him even before the world began. Verse 25, oh righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples know that you sent me. I have revealed you to them and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them and I will be in them. As these boys are about to be terrified and confused, they already are. From every reading of the story of the Gospels, from every reading of their experience in life, there is a weird feeling inside of the skin of these disciples, maybe like you're feeling right now. This is such a weird time, this COVID thing. No matter what you think about COVID, you have to acknowledge that that our country, our culture, our context is weird right now. Uh, with, with the pandemic not just there and all of the different messages we've got. Don't wear a mask. Wear a mask. Wear a mask on Tuesdays. Uh, you know, it's not safe to be in groups while we're sending you back to school. Um, and then in different cities, and last night in Austin, people are, aren't just picketing, they're rioting, and people are hurting each other, and there's so much hate 
There's something inside. This isn't like a building being burnt down. This isn't like a blizzard or a hurricane that ends. You look in the future and you kind of go, man, is this really going to end? I mean, the only, the only, actually, I don't know. And that's unsettling. And that must have been how the disciples felt. They were convinced just hours before that before the next Passover, Jesus was going to set up his kingdom because he told them that before, my, before, uh, b- before the kingdom comes, I will not share this cup, the Seder cup, the Passover cup with you again. We're not going to have communion together until I'm in my kingdom. Well, they couldn't fathom that that would be after their life. What they could fathom is, wow, before next year's Passover, Jesus is going to sit on the throne of Jerusalem. So that was in their mind. But as soon as they're done, Jesus tells them that I'm leaving you. What? They were confused. You've been taught your whole life that the rapture is going to take place before the tribulation, and we've counted on that. But now we can see tribulation and persecution. It's kind of like, I thought that was only in Africa and China. Now it could be in the United States. Absolutely it could. He told us it could. Yeah, but we ignored those parts of Scripture. Your heart may be unsettled, but that's where the disciples were. And as we've gotten farther in this study, I want you not only to get to know Jesus of the Bible, but I want you to understand that the disciples felt exactly like you feel. Exactly even the most trusting among them had a knot in his stomach. It is, it is weird. I had two people tell me this morning already, just communicate with me, that they're not sleeping well. Well, yeah, because everything that we put our confidence in is being removed. Our political processes, the authority of law in our country, things that you and I as Americans were proud of, it just, it's, just, it's just weird. And you look at the polls on the future about, and socialism being accepted, and that is a weird concept for us. And the things that we put our hope in are, are being removed, and it, it, just like the disciples. In Mark chapter 14, and we are going to be all over the Gospels this morning because we're going to walk through this evening with them into the arrest Mark 14, 32 says that after Jesus finished his prayer, they went farther, I added that, into the olive grove called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to eight of them, so let's do the math, there were 12, Judas is gone, so there's 11. And he talks to the eight of the 11, and he says to them, sit here with me while I go and pray. So Jesus is gonna go a little farther. Then he took with him Peter, James, and John, and he became deeply troubled and distressed. So to eight of them, so we're in the garden, there's 11, and he prays, Father, for himself, he prays for the disciples, that must have blessed them, then he prayed for us, those that would be saved as a result of those disciples, and then he says, come on guys, we gotta go, and they walk a little farther into Gethsemane, and when he gets there, he looks at them and he says, you eight, I want you to sit here and wait for me. I'm going deeper into the garden to pray. And as soon as they walk deeper into the garden, as soon as he starts to go, he looks at Peter, and he looks at John, and he looks at James, whom he had pulled aside in the past on a couple of different occasions. And he says, I want you to follow farther. And as they're walking to wherever it is they're going, he tells them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here. Don't leave my side. Watch with me. And then he went on a little further by himself and he fell to the ground and he prayed that if it were possible, the awful awful hour of waiting on him might pass by him. Abba, Father, he cried out. Everything's possible for you. You can do anything, Father. Please, do this one thing. Take this cup of suffering away from me. 
forget. I want your will to be done, not mine. I want you to think for a second in a way that we don't often think. Because it's expressed here what Jesus is feeling. Jesus' feelings are expressed in this text. He tells the disciples what he's feeling in verse 34. My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. And we can remove ourselves in the translation to English because it's like none of us talk like that. What Jesus is saying is, I feel like I'm dying. Boys, I feel like I'm dying. Please don't leave my side. Stay with me here. I'm going to walk on a little farther. I've got to talk to my father, but stay close. These were real feelings of Jesus, fully God and fully man. Mark goes on to tell us that he was so distressed that he asked the three disciples that he appears to be closest with to sit near him while he walks off and, and prays. And why? For the same reason that when you're deeply in grief, you don't want to be alone. That's very difficult for people because people don't often know what to say. As a pastor, I had to learn this and I'm still not good at it. Sitting quietly with somebody whose insides are turning inside out is very difficult. You want to say something. Jesus doesn't want them to say anything. He wants them to be near him. And it tells us that he actually walked away from them a little waves. And it tells us that he collapsed in his grief. The question I had for this week, and I... I it was answered for me in my study is that in Mark, in the Greek, the way that the tense is written, it tells us that Jesus' prayer. So the question, the fair question is, how do they know what he prayed if he walks on to be alone? Well, Mark answers that in the way that he wrote the Greek about this. It tells us that his prayer was with great emotion and screaming. In other words, Jesus, who stepped away, was crying out with agonizing screams this prayer. Think about that. Jesus isn't just sweating drops of blood, and I, and I want to talk about that for a second, and I'm not willing to die on this hill, but in every movie we've ever seen, he sweat drops of blood. It doesn't actually say that. What it says is they were like drops of blood. It could be that he's, he's telling you how deeply grieved Jesus was in this moment, and, 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 and yet Doctors have found an explanation that if you're so grieved that, that your sweats will actually be mixed with blood and it'll be a pink. So I, I don't know what was happening that day, but Jesus' Greek, uh, grief was so great that Mark re tells us that he cried out, Father, take this cup! Oh, God! Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords, is overwhelmed and another gospel, and I'll show you in a moment, actually tells that it didn't last for 10 seconds. It lasted over an hour. This first of three times alone praying. Over an hour. We don't think of this about Jesus. It doesn't fit our mojo. We can see him dying on the cross, and we can see him bleeding, and we can see him whipped. But there was an emotional agony connected with what the Father's will was for Jesus. We have so separated ourselves, especially in the American culture, of the suffering of sacrifice. That's why Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, because of all Jesus has done for you, offer your body as a living sacrifice. 
That's why Paul said, I've been poured out like a drink offering. We want peace. We want smoothness. We want, we want a good life, a comfortable life at least. While we watch Jesus saying, I'm crushed. Boys, stay awake. Please don't leave my side. Crying out in agony. Jesus, the creator of all things, the sustainer of all, the author of life, the second member of the Trinity who came here to do what he, the Trinity, singular, had planned to do, actually prayed that he not have to go through with it. But he also prayed that above all else, above his feelings, above his crushed emotions, he wanted his Father's will to be done even if it killed him. And it would. What was about to happen that was crushing him? What was it the Father's will that he wanted to be removed? Mark 8, 31. Jesus describes that he must suffer many terrible things. And some of those, including being rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. Jesus did not enjoy his battles with the Pharisees and the religious leaders. He would be killed. That was not something he was looking forward to. But three days later, he would rise from the dead. In Galatians chapter 3, thir verse 13, it says that he, would be he was hung on a cross. He took upon himself the curse for our sin. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it tells us that he, Jesus, who never knew sin, who had never sinned, was about to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made the righteousness of God. At great personal cost, even wishing, even desiring and asking that he not have to do it, Jesus tells the Father in his prayer that he was willing to be cursed, shamed, rejected, and suffer, to be killed as the offering for our sin, so that we, who are his enemies at this time, could be made right in our relationship with God and adopted into his family. Sidebar, just a side note. If we want to be like Jesus, then I think it's fair from this to extrapolate that it's okay to pray what we desire to be done. Save our country. Save our family. Save my job. Give me a better job. Help us to be able to afford a better house. Father, provide steak instead of hot dogs. It's okay to pray those things. That's what Jesus was praying. Take this cup from me. The ultimate cup. The reason he had been sent. For God so loved the world, he said, the very purpose for which he came, the most, the most central point of his even living, he asked for that to be removed. Think about the depth of that. Please, I know you've heard this story, but think about that. Jesus asked God the Father to remove the very purpose for which he came. Take this cup from me. But he ended it with the right prayer, but not my, not my will. Let yours be done. I, I, I am fully aware, I've gotten emails, texts, I'm watching on Facebook. I understand that you're upset. I understand that you think our government is whatever. I, I understand that you think people are whatever because they're not wearing masks. Or you think the government's overreaching because they are wearing masks, or they want us to wear masks. Or you think that school leaders are stupid for sending teachers back to school. Or you feel all of those things may be fair feelings. Or you're mad because people are burning down Portland. All of those feelings are very normal, very human, very American. And you can pray for those things to be solved as long as you end with, but if you have to burn this place down to get our attention, burn it down. Not my will, yours be done. 
those of us who refuse to do this because it infringes on our rights, or those of us who demand everybody put your eyes back on Jesus. God relates to your frustration, but he had bigger things in store. And if he doesn't do the Father's will, we have nothing to talk about this morning. We must seek the will of God more than our own fleshly feelings. And I don't mean that as sin. Because even if we are freaking out, even if we're afraid, even if it kills us, like Jesus, we should want God's plan, His eternal plan, more important, more passionately than our own desires and wishes. If you don't, you're not a follower of Jesus because Jesus leads us down that path. My fear in this study is Jesus doesn't want you to rest in the doctrine of the church you, have, you attend. He wants you to run to Him. And if the fruit of your life or the fruit of your mouth or the fruit of your flesh is not love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, you should not run back to a doctrinal statement of your church or yourself. You should run to the Savior. Why am I not at peace? Why am I so angry? Why do I want my will no matter what? Why don't I want God's will? It may be because you have not made Jesus Lord. And Romans 10 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. My fear for East Texas is not that we're not Christian enough. It's that many of the Christians here may not know Jesus. How do I know that? Because of the fruit. Jesus is expressing the fruit of a life that is surrendered to God. Jesus is living this. I want this. I'm going to do this anyway. If we don't mimic that, the same spirit that indwelt and directed and led Christ may not be directing and dwelling and leading you. And I know that you're like, why is Mark so hot on this the last few weeks? Because I do not want you to go into eternity thinking you're saved when you're not. Over the last few months, well, I don't need to get into that, but my friends, it is not about Carpenter's Way, it's about Jesus Christ. Who is your Savior? Donald Trump? Nancy Pelosi? Look higher. It's okay to pray for what you want. It's not okay to demand it. And if you're demanding it, you have a lordship crisis. Go to the Lord. Verse 43, so Jesus is away for about an hour and he's praying and they're overhearing it. Very short segments of it. And you'll mind, find out why in a moment. He's screaming. He's agonizing. He's sweating like drops of blood. And we learn in Luke that an angel from heaven appeared to strengthen him. And as a result, he prayed more fervently. And he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like drops of blood. Luke record for, records for us that he didn't calm down. It got louder. The Father sent an angel to minister to Jesus. That's kind of what we were talking about. While Jesus is a second member of the Trinity and completely self-sufficient, the Father met the needs of the Trinity. He was still alone. He was still unnerved. He was still grieved. Sidebar, whatever comes next for us, church, God will supply the support we need at just the right time for our task. That's the other side of trusting in the Lord with your life. 
is he promises to provide whatever we need to accomplish what he wants to accomplish in us and through us. It may not look like you want it, but he will send an angel or his spirit who lives within you or he'll come to you himself and minister to you in whatever you need in the moment, but you shouldn't expect it before the moment you need it. Mark 14, 37. After this goes on, then he returned and he found the disciples asleep. He said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Couldn't you watch with me for even just one hour? That's where we know how long it was. Because he said, I was only gone an hour, Peter. This must have stung him bad. Peter and the rest of the disciples had in previous few hours declared their willingness to be arrested for Jesus. And I want to remind you that although we concentrate on Peter saying it, it says that the, all of the disciples agreed with Peter. Oh yeah, yeah, we're willing to be arrested. We'll go before judges. Sure, we'll even die for you. Peter's not better than us. We'll all die for you. All of them had. And now they couldn't even stay awake with him when he's obviously deeply distressed. Verse 38, keep watch and pray, Jesus said, so that you will not give in to temptation for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Please notice that even in his hour of greatest agony, Jesus' concern was for their spiritual health and well-being. He didn't say, I count on you to lift me up. I need your help right now. Jesus doesn't say that. What he says to them is you should be awake. You need to stay alert and you need to be careful because you need to pray for your spiritual strength because your body is weak even if your spirit is willing. You said hours ago that you would die for me. You're going to abandon me. You should be praying for yourself. Verse 38, keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation for the spirit is willing but the body is weak. As I read this this week, and I told you that this was very convicting to me, I realized how much Peter I am. I have told you before, and I believe it, I'm so willing to die for Christ, although I'm not looking forward to that. But Jesus is asking for more than dying for him. He's asking me for live for him right now. He's asking me to trust him when it seems weird. In November, when I want somebody to win, it doesn't matter who I want. If you've been here more than a year, you know who I want. It's not a secret. I tell you that so you know how I'm shaded. But I worry he won't win. And if he doesn't win, I wonder what happens to the church. And God says, it's not your church. I'm sorry, Mark. In all your training at Moody and in seminary, I'm sorry somebody convinced you it was your church. The funny thing is, is nobody ever told me it was my church. They never ever once said that. Our elders tell me it's not my church. They tell me not to worry all the time. But I like to worry. Because every time I worry about something, it never happens. So worry is actually the process by which I get my way. How dysfunctional is that? But we all do it. It's hard not to worry. And I want to encourage those of you who struggle with anxiety and depression and worry today and say that I think you can argue that Jesus' emotions at some level were out of control here. He knew what the Father would want. He still asked for something different, knowing that God's not going to grant it. So what does that teach us? It's okay to boldly approach the throne of God. As long as we leave the throne of God going, okay, but if you want to crush me, it's okay. Just do it fast. If, if we're going to get hit by a Chinese nuke, I want it in Lovekin. In fact, I'd like to move right next door to the missile plant down the street. I want that because I don't want to know about it. 
It's not going to help for the government to tick my phone and tell me we're being invaded by China and they're sending a nuke to Lufkin. Don't tell me. I like ignorance. You can laugh. This is a little bit of a joke. I guess this message is a little bit intense because it's real. The problem with this message is it's real. There's no solution to your anxiety right now. There was no solution to Jesus' anxiety except going through the doorway he asked for it to be removed. This is life. This is what happened when God told Adam and Eve, don't eat of that fruit or people will die. We're still paying for that. Keep watching, pray, so you won't give in to temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Verse 39, then Jesus left them again, and he prayed the same prayer as before, loud, impassioned, take this cup from me. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. And he must have woken them at this point because they didn't know what to say. Ouch. Men, when you told God you'd never look at that magazine again, and if he, you did, if he'd forgive you one more time, you promised never, ever, ever to do it again. And you did it 12 more times. Ladies, when you promise not to, and this is going to be very stereotypical, and don't text me, text Julie. Um, if, if you, whatever your sin is, gossip, uh, whatever, I'm never going to do this again. And you do it three minutes later. This is what they did. This is exactly, oh, we're sorry. Okay, we'll stay awake. And Jesus comes back and says, are you sleeping again? Are you not praying for yourself? They didn't know what to say. Ouch. When he returned to them a third time, he said, go ahead and sleep. He's not mad, though. I said it like he was mad. Go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. Three times Peter and the disciples fell asleep after promising to never abandon him, no matter what the cost. Three times Peter and the disciples fall asleep. And three times within, before morning, Peter will deny even knowing him. After saying he was willing to be arrested, sentenced, and killed for his name, that he would never deny him. They knew and had felt their failure. That's why they had nothing to say. And I believe that that plays into Peter's decision in a few moments we'll get to. So Jesus tells them that they could go ahead and sleep after the turn. You need your rest. It's going to be a long couple days. And then he says, no. Wake up. Get up. The time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Verse 42. Get up. It's time to get going. Look, my betrayer is here. Jesus was in control and command of this out-of-control-looking situation at all times. Please, please, please get this. There's a debate in the church right now because we can't figure out what's going on in the world over, yes, we know God is sovereign and we know he's in command, but he's not in control. This says the opposite. Jesus is in control of this out-of-control situation in every moment, in every second. He told the disciples they would abandon him. He tells them to pray for themselves. He knows what they're going to do. He knows what Peter's going to do. He knows what Judas is doing. He knows everything about everything going on. And yet, he goes to the play acting. You may be freaking out, and it may look to you like it looked to the disciples. What is going on here? I can't, I'm so tired. This has been such a long day, and the meal was so feeling and I, filling, and I can't. Oh, I'm just so exhausted. 
God, what's going on in our country? What if, they, what if a, another civil war starts? What if our government turns into a banana republic? I got news, that banana's being peeled. What if? That's exactly what they were thinking. The situation looked out of control, but Jesus was in control. John 18, verse 2. Judas, Judas the betrayer knew this place because Jesus had often gone there with his disciples. <laughs> Enemies of God often use knowing about God in order to accomplish their evil plans. For those of you who are listening to biblically-centered people teach you things that the Bible doesn't say, you better know the Bible for yourself. You better know God for yourself because evil-meaning people, teachers, even disciples, will take what they know about Jesus and misuse it in front of you to get you to follow with them. Because Jesus had often gone there with the disciples, Judas the betrayer knew the place. Verse 3, the leading priests and Pharisees had given Judas... Now we know who's in charge. A contingent of Roman soldiers and temple guards to accompany him. Now with blazing torches, lanterns, and weapons, they arrive at the olive grove. The Greek word for contingent here refers to a particular uh, part of a legion. Basically, there were Roman warriors fully outfitted for full war, numbering around 600 of them. Plus, he had temple guards at his disposal and the leading priests and Pharisees who had been arguing with Jesus in the temple grounds all week. Just imagine how impressive and overwhelming that must have looked at night in the garden as the disciples rubbed the sleep from their eyes, as Jesus has just rebuked them for falling asleep, and they're walking and they see this huge conglomerate of military showing up. Judas, the religious leaders and the Romans expected resistance from Jesus from his boys, and they came to fight. They had no clue that Jesus was giving himself up. I want to remind you, Jesus said of himself, nobody takes the Son of Man's life, but he gives it up of his own will. While they thought they were in charge, even the evil ones, they weren't. While the world thinks they're in charge, while the church thinks we're losing, I assure you that we have already won. But the battle isn't over and it's going to hurt. Ask Jesus. Mark 14, verse 44. The traitor Judas. <laughs> Have you noticed now how all of the writers of the gospel are wanting you to be clear on who Judas was? They're not very fond of him when they write their eyewitness testimonies. The traitor Judas had given them a prearranged signal. You know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. Then you'll take him away under guard. As soon as they arrived, Judas walked up to Jesus. Rabbi, he exclaimed, and he gave him a kiss. The greeting of a kiss was a common greeting back in friends back in the day. It showed respect. As Mark uh, writes this in Greek, the, uh, the tense infers that when Judas kissed Jesus, it was unusual. It was with great intensity and with great emotion. Judas grabbed his face and he pulled it to him and he kissed him on the cheek and then shoved him back. He was making it clear who it was that they had come to arrest. John 18, verse 4. Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him. <laughs> you think the gospel writers have, want, want us to understand something? 
There wasn't a second, a tenth of a second, Jesus isn't in control. So Judas kisses him. So he wakes the disciples up. He says, go back to sleep. You need your rest. Never mind. Get up. It's time to go. And he walks towards where, the, where Judas and this huge mass of military is coming up over the hill. And he walks up to Judas and he looks at him and Judas walks forward and he kisses him. And he steps back into that crowd. He kisses him. He calls him rabbi. It says that Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him. So he steps forward to meet the whole military. He's not a victim. He's in control. You are not a victim. Our Father's in control. Brothers and sisters, in whatever comes next, we are not victims. We are victors. We will be defeated from victory into victory. If they kill us today, we have only gained eternity. I'm serious. I don't want to die even of old age, to be honest with you. But I'm, I, I tell you all the time, I'm kind of in a quandary. Should I pray for the rapture? Because I'm afraid of heights. I don't know. The fact is, I'm not going to survive this experience. I guess I'd rather die of a massive coronary. On the other hand, I don't want to die at all, but I'm going to. So the question is, who in whom do I put my life? And is it better to die of old age or is it better to die at the hand of a sword trusting in my Savior? Let's go out like winners. Let's not be afraid. Even if we're afraid, don't be afraid. Don't get mad at God. Great. Thank Him for telling you about this. There is nothing that is going on right now that you don't know is coming. That's what's so unnerving about it. Because in 3 o'clock in the morning when you wake up, the question isn't whether or not it's going to happen. It's whether it's today. I get it. I'm with you. And the answer is maybe. Well, I don't want it today. Well, when would you like it? When your grandchildren are your age? When their grandchildren are his age? Maybe we should start praying how the book ends. Maranatha, let's get it over with. Come, Lord Jesus, avenge us. Maybe we should trust him with everything, even the things that terrify us. Verse 4 again, John 18. Let me start there because I want to get to this. This is so cool. This is a part of the story that we all know, but we, make, we just don't think about it because we don't know what to do with it. But I want you to see his control. The reason he did this is to declare that he's in control. Jesus fully realized that always, all that was going to happen to him. After he's kissed, he steps forward to meet them, the group, the military, the religious leaders. Judas is now standing among them. And Jesus starts the conversation. Who are you looking for? He asked. Jesus and Nazarene, they replied. I am he, Jesus says. Judas, who, was, who betrayed him, was now standing among them. As Jesus said, I am he. And remember, John is watching all this. When Jesus said, I am, it says that they all drew back and fell to the ground. <laughs> That's our Jesus. That's not unfamiliar to you. I want to remind you of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 when, I, when the prophet was taken before the Lord in the Holy of Holies in the room where Jesus is and, and he's surrounded by the angels. It says that when he looked up and he saw the Lord, he fell on his face as if he were dead. I remind you of John the Apostle, the one who's recording this. He tells us in Revelation when he sees Jesus in his glory, he falls down like a dead man and Jesus has to put his hand on his shoulder and say, you're not dying today, son. I'm the one who holds the keys of life and death. I want to show you something. You see, no matter what the world thinks, 
And there are those who are slandering the name of Jesus. I hate Jesus, stuff like that. Look at the marchers. It's tragic what they say about our Savior. I want to remind you that when they see him in his glory, including Pontius Pilate, including Caiaphas, including Judas, when they see him in his glory, they won't be talking. They'll be laying down. And that's what they do here. You see, when Jesus says, I am, he uses the name that every one of the religious leaders and Judas and anybody with any historical understanding of Hebrew would have understand. Jesus, throughout the Old Testament, identified himself as I am. I remind you that when Moses said, I don't want to go talk to the Israelites, they won't believe me, and Jesus told him to throw his staff down and it would turn into a serpent, he said, who should I tell them that sent me? Why would they believe in me? He said, you tell them I am sent you. At the base of Mount Sinai, it was I am that was there. Throughout the Old Testament, I am. And now, I am has showed up. Jesus Christ, for those of you who do not believe that Jesus is God, he declares himself God here. I am. And people react how they should react in the face of God. They fall on their butts or faces. They fall down. Sorry for using the word butt. It's from the Greek word but, O-I. It means rump. Seriously, he's God and we don't, we can't wrap our minds around it. He's the one who stood at the right hand of the Father when Stephen was killed as a martyr and said, welcome home, son. I am. This isn't just significant for history, but throughout John's gospel, Jesus invoked this name seven times. In chapter six, he says, I am the bread of life. In chapter eight, he says, I am the light of the world. In chapter uh, 10, he says, I am the gate for the sheep. In chapter 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. In chapter 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. In chapter 14 of John's gospel, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Chapter 15, he says, I am the true vine. And now he says, I'm the one you're looking for. I am. In saying I am, Jesus identified himself as God throughout Jewish history and throughout his teaching. And as all do, when they face God personally, they fall back to the ground because no one can stand in the presence of our God unless he is invited to. This was no ordinary insurrectionist they were about to arrest. They brought swords, he brought power. As they lay on the ground, verse 7, once more, he asked them, who are you looking for? They don't even get up. They don't even get up. So Jesus is the only one standing there. Who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth, I am. <laughs> I asked a question. Who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. I already told you I'm he. This is what really happened. This is the story. I told you I am he, Jesus said. And since I'm the one you want, let these others go. He did this to fulfill his own statement. I did not lose a single one of those you have given me. While it was his plan to be arrested, suffer, and die, it was not part of his plan for any of the 11 disciples to be arrested or die that day. For he had come to lay down his life for them, not ask them to lay down their life for him. Yet. Their time to be arrested and lay down their lives for him would come later. I am sorry if you've been told otherwise, but you have been asked to lay down your life for the Savior because he laid his life down for you. That's what it means to be a living sacrifice. And you should never listen to a pastor who tells you otherwise because he is not teaching the Bible. 
Jesus said, if anybody wants to come after me, he's going to have to pick up his cross, put his selfish desires aside, and follow me. You want to be one of Jesus' team? You're going to have to give it up. I don't want to give it up. Then don't claim to be a follower. It was his plan to be arrested, to suffer and die. It was not his plan to let any of his followers go that day. As as often happens, though, with God's kids, I know from firsthand experience, <laughs> Jesus as Christ is taking care of them in the situation just perfectly, thank you very much, until Peter decides to actually fulfill his words. Verse 10, Then Simon Peter drew his sword and slashed off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest's slave. In defense of Peter, he had promised that he would die for Jesus in Matthew 26. Perhaps he thought he, that this was the time, and he's still embarrassed because he was unable to stay awake when asked by Jesus to do so, and he doesn't want to mess it up again. Maybe thought it, Peter actually thought he could save Jesus, or maybe like Thomas when Jesus says, let's go back and raise Lazarus from his sleep, and he says, we're all going to die if we go back. Maybe Peter thinks, if we're going to die, let's go down bravely. But whatever his reasoning for doing this, one thing is sure, he is a lousy swordsman. He stopped. He couldn't even take the guy's head off. He takes his ear off. Luke records that Jesus would actually reach down and pick up Malchus' ear and put it back on his head, healing the wound. But while reaching down to pick up and heal the ear of his enemy, Jesus says to Peter, put your sword back in its sheath, brother. Am I not going to drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given me to drink? Matthew 26, verse 52, gives us a few more words that Jesus said. Put away your sword, Jesus told him. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. Don't you realize that I could ask my father for, a thousand of, for thousands of angels to protect us? And he would send them instantly. But if I did, how would the scripture be fulfilled to describe what must happen now? You know what he's saying. He's saying, I've got this under control, Peter. This is the what my father has told me to do. Do you really, really want me not to fulfill that task? You have no idea what it would cost if we stopped them today. Once again, Peter overplayed his hand. Now, I want to sidebar for a second. You and I know how many times Jesus has to clean up the messes we make because we do things in the name of Jesus but in our own power. We've all done it, all of us, me included. My fear as I thought about this is that I know, just like Peter knew, that Jesus at any time can rapture me home, can fix this, can put a better person as president, can solve our nation's problems, can give me a better job, can give me more money, can make my family safe, can make my son grow up wealthy beyond his wildest dreams. Anytime he wants, he can send an angel, he can put bubble wrap around him. Anytime he wants every wish, dream, and hope I have, he can fulfill. I know he can do that. But sometimes I get mad that he doesn't. What about you now? Are you mad at God because he's allowing this life to be out of control more than it usually is? Just be man or woman enough to admit it. I mean, look at the posts you've been posting, some of you. You should go back. You should take a break from Facebook today and go back and read the last three weeks of posts. If those posts sound angry, it's only because they are. And what are you angry at? The lost for acting like the lost? Is that what we're mad about? Did you think that we could litigate them to act like the saved? Maybe the saved should act like they're saved. 
Maybe the truth is you're mad because you know what God's capable of, and he said no to you. Brothers and sisters, we've been bought with a price. We should glorify him with our lives. Okay, I will as long as what? He saves people the way you want them to be saved? You've got somebody that treats you the way you deserve to be treated? What is it that God has to do to make you happy? That's lust. It's time for us to be like Jesus and to say, I want all these things, but not my will, yours be done. I know the question because I've had the question. So what you're saying, Mark, is let the chips fall where they may. What I'm saying is they're his chips. You've been bought with a price. It's not your life to live anymore. If you think you got saved just to be kept from hell and now you can live any way you want, and have as much fun as you want, and do whatever you want, and then get heaven, you've missed the gospel of the New Testament. That's not how this works. Jesus said, if you want to be my followers, you're going to have to pick up your cross, put your selfish ambition aside, and follow me. Well, I want what I want. So did Jesus, but he gave it up for the will of the Father. You see, the problem is, all of us want heaven. None of us want sacrificial life. And that's a crisis in the church. The crisis of the church is not what's going on in Washington. The crisis of the church is what's expressed in amen by the pews. The problem with the church is there's too many angry pastors going, screw the government, we're going to meet as much as we want whenever we want. Why? Because they can't tell us what to do. Well, until they tell us to defy the law of God, which hasn't happened at least in Texas yet, what are we doing? What are we doing? How are we lifting up the name of God? How do we live out our trust in God? Jesus is living out his trust in the Trinity's plan. Are we? Seriously. I'm as frustrated as you are, but it's not my body and it's not my life. Even if my grandson Sam doesn't live to the American dream, I'd rather him live for God in my head. And I'm just trying to pull it from here into here. So I'm going to be like Jesus. Join me, please. People need Jesus, who's got a plan. Luke 22, 52. Then Jesus spoke to the leading priest. <laughs> Jesus just didn't stand there and go, take me. He talked. <laughs> then Jesus spoke to the leading priest, the captain of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him, the Jewish people, the Hebrews. Am I some dangerous revolutionary, he asked, that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Did you think I was going to fight? Seriously? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there every day. Here it is. But this is your moment. The time when the power of darkness reigned. <gasps> what? Did Jesus just say that the power of darkness was reigning? Yeah, he did. Oh, Lucifer, you powerful, self-absorbed, foolish, rebellious angel. You are so stupid. You overplayed your hand. In that moment, you and your forces thought you were winning, and, and you were winning a, a battle. And the priests and the religious leaders thought they were in charge with their weapons and military might. You must have celebrated as they took God into custody, completely unaware that you were still under God's chess game. He was in full control at that moment, fulfilling his plan that when in a few days unleashed the saving power of God, I didn't know he would seek him. You stupid angel. 
Oh, family, it's going to look like we're losing sometimes. It will, and you'll be convinced of it, but that's only because that big bag of noise is making lots of noise. That lying fool who abandoned heaven so long ago for his own selfish agenda at times is allowed to reign, but he will not win this war. He's already lost. Do you still believe in the power of God, church? (laughs) Then what are you afraid of? Dying? Remember that weird thing Jesus said to the disciples? You guys are going to get arrested. In this world, you're going to have trouble. You're going to go through and stand before judges. Don't worry. I'm going to tell you what to say in those moments. And by the way, some of you are going to get killed. All of you but John, to be honest with you. You're going to get killed. But don't worry. All they can do is take your life. (laughs) Yeah, you got to go, that that last thing. Can you back that up? They're going to take my life? Yes, they're going to take your life. But then you are welcomed into eternity where life really is lived. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. Men and women who are raising children, are you teaching your children to live for God or live for prom? Did your kids really deserve a public graduation this year, enough where you could spend so much time trashing administrators who are trying to balance keeping people safe? Is that really where we are as a church? Are we really demanding that the world act reasonably when they have rejected the Savior? What have we done? So your kids don't walk an aisle in front of a crowd. They get to do it again after college. Well, my kids aren't going to college. Then how about celebrating their graduation from whatever school or training they go to? How about telling your kids that life isn't fair? How about teaching your kids? You know, for those of you, just a thought. I know I'm going off, and I am not pro-mask. I'm just, why are we worried about this pro? But for those of you who think your kids will not be able to wear a mask in public school, here's an idea. How about teaching them to wear a mask at home? How about telling them that things happen in this life that don't go according to the way we want them to go? But we trust the Lord. We speak up, we vote, we do our part, and then we trust God. And then we live out of respect for the governing authorities because that's what Scripture says. And I assure you that the day, and it may be next year, and I'm fully aware, I'm not an idiot, I know we're on a slippery slope. I am fully aware of that slippery slope. I think about it more than you do because within a couple of years, if the wrong people get in power, it will be illegal to teach all of the gospel. And I am aware that they could arrest me for saying that same-sex attraction is a sin. Then I will go to jail. But I ain't going to jail because they want us to socially distance. Why would you go to jail over that? That doesn't make any sense to me. Just do it. Why are we so upset about stupid stuff? And I can tell you why, because Satan wants you distracted. Do you know how many people are frustrated over the acne they're getting because of face masks? How about telling them about hope? That there's a kingdom in which you'll never have acne again. And Jesus died on the cross, so you didn't have to wear a mask in heaven. I know that's stupid. Still true. What are we doing? The worst thing that can happen is they kill us. And I am fully aware that Jeff Bonner will be the first to go. That's why we have an executive pastor. I'm going to hide, and he's going to go first. I, I, I know. I really do know this. And I think about times, what would it look like? I mean, I'm going to have to die bravely because of everything I ever said. I'm as afraid as you are. I just believe in this now. I see it. He's speaking to me. Is he speaking to you? What's he telling you? Put your hope in God. How's the anger thing working? How's the nausea working? How's the frustration working? It's okay to vote. It's okay to speak up. It's not okay to be hateful, ever. It's not a fruit of the Spirit. 
It's not, a, it's, it's, it's not okay to attack people, whether you like them or not. It's not okay to tell people they're stupid. It's not. And if you've got a frustration with something the school system's got going on, how about actually calling and talking to them instead of trashing them and slandering them on the internet? That's not godly. Well, I have a right to do it. Yes, you do, as long as you don't belong to God. If you don't want to live like Jesus, don't say you're his follower. It is what it is. If you don't want to follow, if you don't like Jesus' plan for your life, then go at it alone. Seriously, that's your choice. Which, by the way, is why so many people left Jesus. They didn't want to follow him. And that's the scary thing for the Bible Belt for me. There's a lot of people who love Jesus as long as he's defined in the way they want him defined. And by the way, after Jesus says, this is your moment, the time when the power of darkness reigns, get at it, boys, you got this. Mark 14, 50 says this, then all the disciples deserted him and ran away. <laughs> One young man following behind was clothed with only a long linen shirt. When the mob tried to grab him, he slipped out of the shirt and he ran away naked. That is such a weird verse, I'll admit it. And, I, and you, can, you can get on commentaries and find out, why, why is this recorded for us? Well, it must have been actually Mark, you know. And, and, and some people have written pages and chapters on why this is written. Like, for instance, one group believes that Mark, his dad owned the upper room where they had had the Passover dinner and that he was asleep and he had heard that they were about to rest Jesus, something was going on. So he, he was sleeping naked and he grabbed a blanket and put it around him and he ran in. And then when he was, they were getting the followers of Jesus, somebody grabbed his, the, 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 the blanket and he ran off naked. That may well, very well have happened, but that is not the reason it's recorded for us. You know why it's recorded for us? To let you know just how freaked out these 11 plus Mark were. Just to let you know how freaked out they were, just like us. Just like us. After all they had seen, after all we've seen, after what they had just seen, the crowd fall back. Just as Jesus told them would happen, they would deserted him in such panic that one even runs away naked. Doesn't even get his garment. Soon to gather back in the upper room where they had enjoyed dinner together with their Savior, only this time they'd lock the door because they got to figure out how to live through this. There may be a time in our lives when we feel this, and maybe you feel it right now. Just to be clear, our brothers and sisters in Iran and China and parts of Africa already feel this every day. This morning, they feel it. In those times, even now in the face of COVID and the country on the brink, I'm about to tell you how you survive with joy. You ready? Proverbs 3, put it up there. Would somebody in your home read it, please? In every home. I know there's a lot of TVs logged on right now. Probably 200. Would somebody read this verse out loud? I'll read it for us. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not, in any case, depend on your own understanding. Go ahead. Somebody read it out loud in your home right now. Seek His will in all that you do. And he'll show you what path to take. Read verse 7. Very important. Read it in your living room. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Rather, fear, honor, respect, revere the Lord, and turn away from sin. 
Then you'll have healing for your body and strength for your bones. If you can transfer your trust from your ability to reason and understand to God, your anxiety will go away. If you can take your eyes off of yourself and put it on God, unless there is a bipolar disorder of some sort, which is a real thing, your depression will leave. It was Rush Limbaugh that said a couple weeks ago, and I know some of you, your ears perked up because I mentioned the big Rush bow, ditto guy. He has become, he has become much more in a mellow way, open about his faith since he got cancer. And he's dying. You know that. If you listen to him, he talks about just wanting to go a little longer. Play extra innings, he calls it. But a couple weeks ago, he was talking about his plight. And he said something that I have never heard him say. And I remember listening to Rush Limbaugh as a high school kid in Southern California when he was doing his broadcast out of Sacramento. He said, let me tell you how I have joy in all of this. You got to believe in something bigger than politics in America. You got to put your faith in God. And for me, it's Jesus. That was it. He moved on. Because that's not Rush's show. But the truth is, that's the answer, my friends. I know that we are accustomed to a country that supports our ideals and our morals. I think that's done. So how about we get back and cling to Jesus? Let's do what he told the disciples to do before the arrest. Let's pray that we would run from temptation, that we would trust him. Let's, when we start freaking out, if we want healing for our body and strength for our bones, let's put our trust in him. That's a lie. Satan is attacking me. I am going to put my trust in God even when I don't feel like it. Let's pray like Jesus. Save our country. Save our family. Save our church. Save our community. But not my will. Yours be done. Jesus isn't just our savior. He's our example. Let's close in prayer. Father God, it was after this that they arrested you and they drug you before the council. Thank you that none of that was a surprise, none of that was a shock. Thank you that in 2020, nothing is a shock, nothing is a surprise. And we have an option to either keep fighting or to surrender to you. What Washington, D.C. can do to us is only temporary. And even if, in your, as was in your circumstance here, even if for a while evil was able to reign under your permission, it will only be temporary. So may your people understand that we are aliens and strangers of a different king and a different kingdom, that we are here to be messengers of reconciliation, and that is all. And when our task is done, we'll go home. Make us faithful unto death. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful Sunday. Uh, we'll be back here next Sunday.